All right, if you have your Bibles with you, uh, turn to Genesis chapter 37. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 37 tonight. How y'all feeling tonight? Feel good? You feel good? God is good? All right, all the time. God, God is good. God is good. Um, I've been kind of lonely this past week. My wife has been uh, away in Thailand. And uh, it wasn't lonely on, on Sunday night when we were watching the Eagles game. Uh, we were playing a little PS3 with some of the brothers. But uh, it, got, it got very lonely quickly after that. Other brothers left. <laughs> uh, but we have a team of uh, six people over there in Pattaya, Thailand. Uh, they're there with a ministry called Extreme Prophetic, Patricia King's ministry, and they're uh, doing outreach in the prostitution capital of the world. So they, they were over there, they were hitting the prisons, they were hitting the streets, they were hitting the brothels, uh, just uh, moving uh, in signs and wonders. So my wife texted me and said, we're seeing signs and wonders, and they were very excited. Last night, I think they had a women's banquet. I think um, what I believe what they do is they gather all the women from the streets and they invite them out. Uh, for last night banquet and just kind of like honor and just kind of rejoice with them and, and share the good news with them so uh, praise the lord uh, i think it's a wonderful um opportunity for them to go and share the gospel and get trained up so i'm really excited to hear their testimonies uh, but tonight i'm going to be re- uh, reading and preaching from genesis chapter 37 excuse me let's look at verse 5 through 8 5 through 8 This may be a passage that's familiar to people. Read from 5 through 8. Sisters, why don't you take verse 5 first, and then the brothers will take verse 6. Hanatur Shijak. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Oh, wow. You know what? Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. We've got too many versions going on. Okay. I'm just, <laughs> just going to read my version. Uh, I'm sorry. I didn't bring the NRV today. Uh, my church, our church is uh, using the ESV right now. So I'm going to be reading from the ESV. Uh, it's still English. So obviously, uh, you guys should be able to understand it. I'm going to read it from the ESV. From verse 6, it says, uh, Joseph said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Okay, these are Joseph, Joseph's half-brothers. Okay, he had ten of them. And then he had one blood brother. Look, look with me at verse 18 through 19. Verse 18 says, this is a little bit later. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Okay, I'm going to end right there. Here comes this dreamer. Let me ask you a question. Are you a dreamer? I don't think y'all heard me in here. Are you a dreamer? Are you a dreamer? Do you have a dream? I have a dream. Right? Are you a dreamer? Somebody say, I have a dream. I have a dream. dream. Hallelujah. Yeah, for for real. Do you guys have a dream? Who in here, by a show of hands, if you have a dream, raise your hand and just kind of wave it just like this. I got a dream. I have a dream. Let me tell you. Okay, all right. All right, put your hands down. Brothers and sisters, I got a dream. In fact, I don't just have one dream. If you look at verse 9 here, it says, Joseph dreamed another dream. 
That's right. I don't just have one. I have several. Let me tell you some of them. I have a dream that one day the Philadelphia Eagles will win the Super Bowl. Hallelujah. I have a dream that one day Taco Bell will make a comeback to the city of Seoul. I'm serious. That is a serious dream that I have. I've been praying real hard. They used to be here. I have a dream that the Korean government will release not an F4 visa, but like an F4000 visa. So that I don't have to go renew it every two, three years. Somebody say amen. To change some of them laws, all right? And also for my foreigner brothers and sisters. I think we need to change some of these visa laws. Stop having to go to Japan, you know, every other weekend, you know, to get your visa renewed. I mean, let's put a stop to that. I have a dream. I have a dream that the brothels of Seoul will close down and become churches. Hallelujah. It's happened before. Pubs, bars. Brothels have closed down, become churches. I have a dream that one day I will preach in Pyongyang and multitudes of my North Korean brethren, my brothers and sisters are going to go come forward and they're going to be able to breathe the true air of freedom that is in Christ. I have a dream. I got several dreams, brothers and sisters. And did you know that one of the most natural parts of being created in the image of God is the ability to dream? That's what separates you from a monkey. Monkey don't have dreams. But people do. And this Ability to dream is a gift. It is a gift of God. And my message for you tonight is very simple and it's just very clear. My message for you tonight is be a dreamer. Be a dreamer. Just like Joseph was known. Hey, here comes that dreamer. Be a dreamer. Be known as a dreamer. Hallelujah. In our passage tonight, who gave Joseph these dreams? Well, it certainly weren't his half-brothers, right? Every time they heard another dream, they hated him even more. It certainly were not his parents. Because verse 10 says that when he told his father his dream, his father rebuked him. And it wasn't the result of Joseph's wild imagination. For the dream that did not come to him while he was relaxing and thinking to himself. It came to him while he was asleep. Meaning he had no say in whether he had he got a chance to see the dream or not. God came to him while he was asleep. So yeah, who gave Joseph this dream? Who was the author of these dreams? And I know the answer is obvious, but I want you all to think about it. It's very crucial. And we've been preaching about revival. We've been trying to stir up revival here among the English ministries in Seoul. But I want to start to paint a picture of true revival tonight. Because what we aim for is very important that we get a vision of what we're aiming for. If all we're aiming for are more prayer meetings and just big old conferences and nice mission trips, we're missing the point. There's a picture of a grander picture of revival that I want to paint for you all tonight. And this message is a key to unlocking that. The Bible says in Job chapter 33, verse 14, it says, For God does speak, though man may not perceive it in a dream. In a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls on men as they slumber in their beds. The Bible says that God speaks through dreams. You know, all throughout the Bible, we see this. This this is true, right? In the Old Testament, Jacob had a dream. 
of a stairway to heaven. That's right, brothers. It's not just some Led Zeppelin song that you learn on the guitar. Okay, stairway to heaven is biblical. It's a dream that our brother Jacob had. In the Old Testament, Gideon, before he went into battle, he heard his enemies talking about a dream, and it gave him the confidence to go in and fight. In 1 Kings chapter 3, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream and said to him, ask for whatever you want. I'll give it to you. And Solomon woke up. Oh, man, what an awesome dream. <laughs> right? But it, was, it wasn't just a dream. Because God actually fulfilled the things that he had asked for. Daniel interpreted King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And was promoted to a high position of leadership. In the New Testament, when Joseph planned to divorce Mary, because that wasn't his baby. When he planned to divorce her, it is through a dream that God said, don't do that. Don't do that. I know it ain't your baby. Don't be scared. He actually said, don't be scared. Now, I'm for real. If, if, if I was in, when I was engaged to Aaron and then later on I found out she was actually pregnant and I know I'm not, the, I'm not, the, I'm not the daddy, I would be kind of scared, you know? I think about it, man. If you were in that shoes and you're trying to be a righteous man, right? Or even if you're like a man in the ministry, people look up to you, you'd be scared. What do I do about this? I don't want to hurt her. I love her. But at the same time, that's not my baby. <laughs> All right? You'd be scared. And the angel came in a dream and said, don't be scared. So Joseph said, okay, all right, I'll do it. When King Herod found out about baby Jesus, he tried to kill all the babies in Bethlehem. He went looking for Jesus. And it was through a dream that God warned Joseph and told him to go down into Egypt. And after King Herod died, it was through a dream that God told Joseph, hey, it's time to go back to Nazareth. All right? You look all throughout the Bible and God uses dreams. It is clear. Now, my question is, why does God speak through dreams? This may be a natural question you may be asking yourself. Why does God through choose to speak through dreams? Why not when we are awake? God, just speak to me when I'm awake. Then you'll be a lot more effective. You know? <clears throat> I actually don't have the answer, right? I'm just, I'm just posing this question. Why does God speak to dreams? I don't know. I don't know. Per perhaps it's because we have short attention spans, right? Think about that. If God came to you while you were awake, and there's Facebook and God, I think it would be a real question of which one you will pay attention to. Or TV and God. ESPN and God. Right, when it comes down to it, we have short attention spans. If God came to us while we were awake and gave us a message or something, we might, we might be like, hold on, God. Hold on. Eagle's about to score a touchdown right here. Maybe it's because we have short attention spans. Because guess what? When you're asleep and you have a dream, you don't have a choice. you got to pay attention. I, 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 but I don't know. I don't really have an answer. I'm just kind of throwing that out there. I don't know why God chooses to speak through dreams, but I know that he does. And if you read the Bible, dreams is a very natural way for God to speak to his people. Whether he gives a dream to his people or whether he gives the dream to people that don't even know him and speaks to his people. It's a very natural way in God, which God speaks. And some people argue that dreams were the exception. And now that we have the Bible, God thinks that dreams are played out. He's like, oh, that's so 1980s. Oh, I don't do dreams anymore. Like, right? Some people argue that, that God thinks dreams are played out and that he doesn't do this anymore. But check this out. Nowhere in the Bible does it say this. The Lord God, he is God and he is tired of speaking through dreams. So look forward to a compilation of his word in 66 books. All right. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that God has ceased to speak through dreams. You won't find it. And in fact, there's a prophecy in Joel chapter 2 
that increases our expectation of dreams. Joel chapter 2 verse 28. And afterwards, or in the last days, the latter days, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old man will dream dreams. Hallelujah. This is a prophecy of the end times. Began to be fulfilled in Acts chapter 2 and is being fulfilled even till today until the return of Jesus. When the moon will be turned to, to blood and the sun darkened, right? All those signs are signs at the end of the time. Look at Joel chapter 2, right? And this prophecy gives us an expectation that dreams should actually increase in the last days. So it seems to be completely in opposition to what some of these, some of these, um, scholars or these Bible teachers say. Now let's go back to our original question. Who gave Joseph his dreams? Who made this podium? Because it's just rocking back and forth. Man, I'm getting a headache up here. Right there. Who there it is? Right there. All right, Herman with that carpenter anointing. Good stuff, good stuff. Homie's getting married real soon. Pray for him. Pray for him. Pray for him. Um, back to our original question. Who gave Joseph his dreams? Exactly. Well, we all know the answer, right? It's, it's God. God's the one who gave Joseph his dreams. He didn't have a say in it. All right? Because obviously when he shared it, he appeared very arrogant. And his brothers were like, man, you're just full of yourself. What kind of dream? Who dreams dreams like that? And Joseph's like, well, I didn't make it up. God gave it to me. And brothers obviously didn't believe him. They despised him. They hated him. And for everyone who raised their hands earlier and said, I have a dream. Let me ask you a question. Who gave you your dreams? Who gave you your dreams? I believe that inside each of you, you guys have dreams and desires. You have dreams and desires. And different people will speak into your life and say, hey, man. That's just you. That's just your selfish ambition. And you, like Joseph, you feel like rejected. You feel like. But this is from God. I'm pretty sure this is from God. And you keep bringing it to the Lord and it won't go away. And God just makes it increase inside your heart. And you got all these dreams and people tell you that's not from God. Or people tell you that you're just making that up. People are saying these are just desires. This may be even out of your flesh. You better watch out. You better watch out where that's going to take you. But look, look at the dreams that you have in your heart. The ones that you submit to God over and over again. They still don't go away. Who gave you those dreams? Who gave you your dreams? Brothers and sisters, God is the author of your dreams. Dreams are a gift from God. Just like prophecy, visions, and tongues are gifts. Dreams are a gift. But tonight, I'm not here to focus on talking about dreams itself. I'm here to activate your ability to be a dreamer. It doesn't matter whether you have a dream or not. It's what you do with that dream. Are you going to be a dreamer? Or are you not going to be a dreamer? I I have something smart to say. Follow up to that. (laughs) Sometimes, sometimes I like set myself up like that. I don't have it right on paper. I just set myself up. I'm like, Holy Spirit, give it to me. Give it to me. And then, and then nothing. I'm just okay. (laughs) Hallelujah. It's all right. I'm covered by the blood. The ability to dream is a God-given gift. So my message tonight, brothers and sisters, once again, is very simple. Be a dreamer. This is a gift that God has given you. Your ability to dream dreams. It's a gift. And God is saying to you tonight, be a dreamer. You know, in the Bible, Jesus said, if any man wants to follow me, he must take up his cross, deny himself, and follow me. And many believers, in their attempt to be spiritual, they end up denying everything that has to do with themselves. They say things like, Lord, I lay down all my rights. 
my hopes, my desires, my dreams. I think there's like a song about it like that, right? You must increase, I must decrease. You must increase, I must decrease. Less of me, more of you, Lord. Some people take it all the way. They say, none of me and all of you, Lord. Sounds pretty spiritual, right? Now, this may sound spiritual to many, but you know what? It's more Buddhist than it is Christian. You guys realize that? There's a healthy picture of self-denial that the Bible paints. And then there's a self-denial that's twisted by the devil that is presented in all the religions of the world. You know, if we end up denying every part of ourselves, we end up reflecting a robotic or zombie image rather than the image of God. Have you thought about that? He must increase, I must decrease. Less of me, more of you. None of me, all of you, Lord. None of me. None of, there's nothing good in me, Lord. Nothing, nothing. Take it all, Lord. And God's like, you done yet? And you're like, Please type into the prompt what you would like for me to do next. And there's this robotic zombie image that a lot of Christians think is spiritual. Well, I'm telling you here, there's a greater, there's a greater wisdom in how we need to see self-denial. Sometimes we end up crucifying the very things that God has placed in us to bear fruit. And this is why John Piper preaches a basic message that God is most glorified in us than we are when we are most satisfied in him. And John Piper, he has this famous message when I was in college. And he, and he said, you know, he talks about his basic message is Christianity is not about destroying all forms of desire and delight. But it's about awakening true forms of desire and delight. And there's this famous line that he used to say. And he's preaching this simple message of. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. You know, and he says, in this way, it's all about self-denial, but it's not about self-denial. Do you get it? <laughs> right? And then he goes, uh, he, he mocks like a, while well, the college student would say, he says, do you get it? And he goes, I don't get it. Well, let me explain to you the word of God. You know, however, John Piper, you know, he goes on and says, I listened to his message about like 20 times. Because back then, um, we didn't have podcasts. We had to buy packs of CDs. So I went to One Day 2000, right, over in Tennessee. I drove like 26 hours to get there. Almost died on the way, by the way. Had a full car, car load full of NYU students. God's grace, we got there. And the uh, only messages that were available were on CD. There would be like 30-minute messages on one CD. And they, they make you buy like a pack of them. They're like $10 each. Man, I look back, that's so wrong now. You know, considering, you know, most of the sermons are available for free now. <clears throat> anyway, Piper used to teach this message, right? It's all about self-denial, but no, it's not about self-denial. Do you get it? Do you get it, Christian? Do you get it? Jesus said, if a seed does not die, it cannot produce any fruit. Okay, I'm cool with letting the seed die. But check this out. Don't annihilate the seed itself. You still need the seed. You got to let the seed die. Figuratively, you got to put it in the ground, right? Let it die. Selfish ambitions. Right? Me, me, me. You got to let that die. But don't annihilate the seed in the process. Because the seed contains the spiritual DNA for greatness. The Bible calls us the seed of Abraham and heirs according to the promise. But you know what? As Christians, we are so good at overcompensating for the old man through self-denial that we end up clueless about what the new man looks like. Right? The Bible says we are a new creation in Christ. We're so good at putting to death our old nature that we end up putting to death our new nature as along with it and all the dreams that come with the new nature. The new creation. <clears throat> and one seed that God places in each of us when we get born again is our ability to dream. 
See, brothers and sisters, this seed, when it matures, it has great potential for fruitfulness. When you let the ability to dream, you let that seed mature in your life, it has the greatest potential to bring God glory. You know, there's a myth in the church that the devil has spread. And this myth says that there are two calls of God in the world, in the church. Number one, there's a sacred call. And number two, there's a secular call. If you want to read more about it, there's a book called The Call by Os Guinness, excellent resource. So pastors, missionaries, and evangelists, anyone in full-time ministry are considered to have the sacred call. And then engineers, um, teachers, athletes, businessmen, they're considered to have the secular call. Okay, And this is what many people in the church believe. Since these secular professions, they don't have a direct link to so-called ministry, right? We consider them as secular. They have a secular call. And this is what a lot of us in here think. Thus, the role of people with a secular call becomes secondary and their role in the church is reduced to that of just financial and emotional support for those in public ministry. And this is really sad. This is really, really sad. The devil is a liar, brothers and sisters. You know, this is the reason why some people are sluggish and slack when it comes to their secular jobs. Because not only do the people who have that sacred call look down on your job, and the rest of the church look down, you look down on your job. So you just don't, you don't really hold it in high esteem. They look down on their jobs and they're unmotivated. They do not have the inspiration to pursue creativity, integrity, and excellence in their job. They show up late and they leave early. I see a couple smirks right here. They use company time never to do church work. Oh. Some people straight up speak it out of the overflow of their hearts. They say stuff like, my call is to make lots of money and support the work of the ministry. When's the last time you heard that? I will be rich if I got a dime for every time I heard that. My call in life is to make lots of money and to support the work of the ministry. Now, I'm not dogging on that. I'm not dogging on that. You know, um... There's an honor to supporting the ministry. And I think we need to hold that honor and, and esteem that honor. But I'm talking about something else here. You know, there are some people, they, <clears throat> they spend all their resources to do church-like ministry, like prayer meetings and Bible studies. They do it in their marketplace while their actual job is wholly neglected. This is also the result of a wrong thinking about the call of God on their life. Because they feel like, if I can't do full-time ministry, at least I can do ministry in my marketplace. But if it's at the cost of your actual job, there's something wrong. There's something terribly wrong going on there. Bill Johnson said it like this. And Bill Johnson, he's a wonderful author. Uh, he has a free podcast. Make sure you go... Download as many as you can because he takes them down every three, four weeks. So you can't like go back to the archives. He makes you, he makes you pay for the archives. Anyway, he has a wonderful books out. Uh, Bill Johnson said it like this. He said, to work without fulfilled dreams and desires is to partner with the religious spirit that exalts routine without purpose and calls it suffering. The honor of giving to promote ministry must not be devalued, but its emphasis should never be at the expense of each individual carrying their own creative expression of the gospel through realizing their God-given dreams and desires. In other words, my brother, I'm happy that you want to give generously toward the church. Offering envelopes are in the back. But I do not think 
that this is all there is to God's call in your life. What are your desires? What are your dreams? But this is no way to live. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life, not a boring routine. Brothers and sisters, let's get one thing straight here tonight. There is no such thing as a secular call. Every call of God is sacred. Somebody say amen. Every call of God is sacred. Whether it's the preacher at the pulpit or the stay-at-home mom. Sacred. Whether you're a missionary in the field or you're a news reporter in the field. Every call of God is sacred. But in the eyes of God, from the perspective of heaven, he does not look down on earth and upon his church and call certain jobs secular. God just doesn't do that. He esteems every call that he sends out. This means that while you're at your current job, God wants you to be punctual. He wants you to spend company time faithfully, not because your boss is watching, but because God is watching. God wants you to pursue integrity, creativity, and excellence in your job. Amen? Check this out. He wants his glory displayed at every segment and every sector of society. When the church looks to unbelievers to lead the way in creativity, artistry, and innovation, there's something terribly backward on the earth. When we as a church, we look to the unbelievers to lead the way in innovation, there's something terribly backward. Because check this out. The Bible says God is the source of all wisdom and life. And if we have the spirit of God living in us in that way, the very source of life living inside of us, We ought to be leading the way in creativity, in innovation. Can somebody say amen? You know, because we have not identified and rejected this mindset of the secular call in the church, Satan has, Satan has us going to work, despising our job, Going in nine to five. We put all our best time, gifts, and resources during the week into this job. But the whole time we're despising it. Then we are so tired from the work week that we come to Sunday and we grudgingly give God the leftovers. We give him grudgingly the tithe. We grudgingly give him that one day of the week. Oh, I'm so tired. Do I have to go to church? Why do you feel that? Because your work week is tiring you out. And because we're so tired from a job that seems so purposeless, we spend all our remaining money and time in Satan-dominated entertainment to try to find some relaxation only to find ourselves repeating the process all over again the following week. Do you know what I just painted for you just now? Do you know what I just painted for you? Think about this sobering thought. For many of you who have so-called secular jobs and your view of your job is this way, Guess what Satan's doing to you? He's pimping you. Somebody hear me. Satan is pimping God's people all over the earth. Because this is what a pimp does. He makes a person do a job that they despise and look down on. And when that person is tired out from the work week, 
They give all their best resources to the pimp, to the world. And whatever leftovers they have, they do whatever with the leftovers. And just when they're about to relax and try to find some relief, they got to start it all over again. Satan is pimping most of the church today. Because guess what? Most of the church is in these so-called secular jobs. But I want somebody to say right now, I'm tired of being pimped. Say it. I reject this. Saying you ain't my pimp. But you know what? Some of y'all need to really say that to Satan. Because I don't think Satan gets it. Because well, guess what? Satan only dominates your life as much as you allow him. Because the authority doesn't belong to him. The authority belongs to you. You see, the authority that we lost in the Garden of Eden, Jesus became a man to win that authority back. So that in Matthew 28, he told the disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth is now mine. And I now commission you by delegating that authority to you. I'm not going to multiply and clone 1,000 of me and send me out to all the world. No. It's not the plan. The Great Commission is not going to work like that. It's me taking all that authority and entrusting it to you. What are you going to do with that? Satan only dominates your, mouth, your life as much as you allow him. And sometimes you got to just slap them in the face. Be like, man, get off me, Satan. My life belongs to God, not to you. I'm tired of this. Get off me. I ain't nobody's. All right, hallelujah. Let me stop there. Hallelujah. <laughs> I, was, I was trying to stay with the pimp theme, but, uh, you know, sorry. sorry. I, I'm very edgy. I'm sorry if you didn't notice. I can be a little edgy. I'm not very politically correct. Hallelujah. But God still loves me. Thank you, Lord. <clears throat> but what I'm saying here, brothers and sisters, is God wants you to be a dreamer. He wants you to go to work optimistic, positive, and looking forward to something. Full of faith. And when you have a dream, you have something to look forward to. This is why God wants you to be a dreamer. God doesn't just want Sunday. He wants you to give him every day of the week for his glory. Amen? He doesn't want just your leftover tithe. He wants you to invest your money with wisdom and discernment into the God-directed plans that you discern through the dreams that he's placed in your heart. Don't let Satan pimp you any longer. Check this out. God puts you right where you are. How many of you in here are Hagwon teachers? Raise your hand. How many Hagwon teachers we got in the house? Uh, well, I know there are more than that. Are y'all ashamed to be? How going to teach us? Come on. <laughs> How many of y'all are in corporate world? You're in the corporate world. Holla. Yeah. Some corporate people. Come on, man. I went to NYU Business School, man. It's all about, yeah, you got you to bring the glory of God into the business world. How many of you guys are in here? You're uh, public school teachers. Or, or you work for private or public school. Not a Hagwan. Alright. There's a lot more of you in here than Hagwan teachers. Oh, Hagwan teachers, y'all getting outnumbered. <laughs> Check this out. Let me say here tonight, God put you right where you are with a purpose. I don't care if you're teaching in a Hagwan or you're washing dishes. God put you right where you are with a purpose. Do what you do, brothers and sisters, right where you are and do it with faithfulness because the character and the skills that you will gain right now will be the platform for greater influence in the future. You know, the last time the church took this attitude, you know what happened? The Reformation. Because this was one of the central messages of the reformers. Martin Luther used to say this all the time. Don't care if you're a baby mama. Or if you're a missionary, there is no such thing as a secular call. Every call of God is sacred. You glorify God right where you are. 
Last time this message went out and the church took on this attitude. Reformation. And does anyone know historically what the Reformation did? We will not have the internet today without the Reformation. We will not have modern industrialization and all this technology without the Reformation. Because with the Reformation came people in the church leading the way with innovation, creativity, artistry. Whether it was art or whether it was in technology or in science, Christians were leading the way. Where is that today? We get so excited when we hear about a Christian. Oh, I'm a Christian scientist. Like the other day, like there's like a Christian scientist that. Uh, no, it wasn't the other day. I'm sorry. It was a book that some Christian scientist just recently read. I was recently wrote. Anyway, anyway, we get all excited. Oh, Christian scientists. Yeah, I told you we're not throwing away our brain when we become a Christian. Look, there's these scientists. They have a brain and they're using it. And they believe in God. Come on. Yeah. One for Christianity. Because this is not the norm. Because this is not the norm. But I believe that God is like setting up the church right now. At the brink of one of the greatest revivals. And check this out. True revival will not just bring forth repentance. But will bring forth reformation. Will bring forth innovation. Will bring forth advances. You go to India, you go to Cambodia. I just came back from Cambodia and Thailand this past summer. Incredible poverty. Incredible poverty. But you know what? You guys in here can in one generation turn that nation around. Through your gifts and talents. If you will lead the way and you will glorify God, whether through the educational system, whether through international law, or whatever have you means. You go in there, you business, you go in there, you start a good business with integrity. In the short run, people may criticize you, but in the long run, you will see fruitfulness and favor. And you bring reformation to that, to that city, to that country, to that nation. Hallelujah. I believe we are at the brink of one of the greatest revivals on earth. And I believe that God will not just be glorified in revival tents and revival meetings. God's going to be glorified in the business sector. Think about it right now. In America, what is happening? Corruption. That's what's happening. Government bailout. Oh, more corruption. Thank you, government. It makes me sick. It really does. You s- oh, my. Whoa. Hallelujah. That's symbolic right there. There's going to be some living water that's going to flow here. <laughs> Hallelujah. It makes me sick, man. That's wrong. Corruption. It's just corruption. But if Christians would have excelled and they, and they stuck with it and, and they had this vision, they, had a, that a, they were dreaming of being excellent at what they're doing and being innovative and creative at what they're doing, they would have ra- raised, rise up, risen up to these positions of leadership in these companies. And they will be influencing these companies. But they're not there. They're just over there sitting on their pews criticizing. Oh, the government, oh, oh, the whole, the whole country is going to hell. Oh, the whole country, oh, there's going to be another, another uh, terror, terrorist attack because, you know, you know, the whole country is out. I mean, they're so sinful and it's Sodom and Gomorrah all over again and all this, uh, uh, this is critical spirit. But the whole time God is looking to us and saying, you be the solution to that. The blood of Jesus can take care of that. The power of the cross can change that. The power of God's presence being present through you can change that. You know, we get so scared. Sometimes we, we got, you may get a job where you're surrounded by all these like non-Christian workers, co-workers. And they all smoke and they all tempt you to drink. Come on, let's go drink it. Hey, hey, hey. No, I can't do that. I can't. I'll drink some water though. <laughs> I'm one of you. Come on. <laughs> And we get so scared. Oh, I'm going to get tempted, Pastor Christian. Oh, I'm going to lose my faith. What am I going to do? And we have this crazy wrong perspective of our identity. Because Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Then he turned it around and said, you are the light of the world. We are the light of the world, brothers and sisters. That means if you are placed in an environment surrounded by non-Christian co-workers, 
Guess who the ones that should be trembling are? Because the power of God that's living in you is greater than any of the demonic forces that are working in their lives. And the anointing will destroy the yoke off of them and they won't even know what hit them. They'll just be crying one morning at the foot of the altar of a church service. Not knowing exactly what happened to them. But they just know they want change. They know they want what you got. We need to stop being scared that the environment's going to change us. We need to be more confident that we can change our environment. That's what being a light of the world is all about. Now, Joseph, the dreamer, he was beaten and sold by his brothers into slavery. And it looked like Satan had killed the dream of God on his life. And then when he was working as a butler, he got hired as a butler in Potiphar's house. You know, Joseph could have been tempted to despair, to see his job as secular and pointless and purposeless and to doubt all the dreams that God had put in his heart. But guess what? Joseph didn't do that. He didn't do that. He was a dreamer. And you know what? Dreamers always rise. And he did his job faithfully and diligently. And guess what? He became the right-hand man of Potiphar. Satan saw that. He didn't like that. So Satan tried to kill Joseph's dreams once again by sexually tempting him. But that didn't work either. So Satan changed his tactic to accusation. And it put Joseph in the dungeon, in the prison. Now, while he was in prison, he could have been tempted to look at his job once again. Or just to state as God abandoned him. The dreams of God in my heart will never be fulfilled. But no, Joseph didn't do that. He was a dreamer. He was a dreamer. He continued to believe and to dream. He did not let that ability to dream die. Because you know what? Satan does that for so many people on the earth today. But for Joseph, Joseph, of course there was a lot of God's grace involved. But Joseph, there was his part. And his part, he held on. He continued to believe. And it, demonst- it was demonstrated in his behavior in the prison. Because guess what? He was so faithful, he became the right-hand man of the prison warden. Prisoner gets all the keys to the prisons. That's crazy. Keys represent authority. God was saying, you see these keys? I'm going to give you greater authority than that. Just get yourself ready. You continue to be faithful as a prison warden assistant. And Joseph did that. And so where Satan couldn't kill Joseph's spirit through a good beatdown, through rejection, through sexual temptation, or through accusation, Satan started to think, what can I do to get Joseph down from this dream? Now in the prison, Joseph didn't feel sorry for himself. He didn't say, why me? Why am I the unluckiest guy in the world? You know, just when I thought I had a break, And now I'm back here in the prison. He didn't think any of that. Joseph didn't do that. Joseph was a dreamer and dreamers always rise. He pursued integrity, creativity, and excellence right from his position as a prison warden's assistant. And God's favor continued to raise him up. And you know what? He did his job well because he knew that it was God's grace and favor that put him in that position in the first place. You know, the Bible tells us It is God who gives us the ability to produce wealth. Guess what we call the ability to produce wealth? We call it a job. Right? In other words, God is the one who gives you your job. Every job you've ever had, God gives you. Think about it right now. When I I was uh, eighth grade, I had a job at a temporary agency with uh, two entrepreneurial African-American women. It's called Charlie's Temporary Services. And I used to work as a secretary. Guess what, man? I look back. I could have been a lot more faithful at that job. But man, those those two black women, they really mentor me. And I would not be here where I am today without the communication skills that they taught me. Shortly thereafter, I started selling sneakers down in South Philadelphia. The drug dealers. They come in every other month and buy the new Jordans. And then they put a whole bunch of shoes on layaway. If you don't know what that is, just ask me. (laughs) But I... I look back now, I realize God gave me that job down in South Philly. When I was in high school, I tried out to be a lifeguard. 
I didn't even know how to swim. I'll kid you not. It's a true story. True story. It's going to prolong my message, but it's a good story. You need to hear it. I went to the American Red Cross tryouts. There were about 300 men and women. Some of them in tip-top shape. Some of them used to be lifeguards. And they were all trying out for like 25 positions to take the class for free. Because the city, city of Philadelphia was offering the class for free. Out of 300 people, I had to make a cut of 25 without knowing how to swim. <laughs> you know what I had to do? I had to like, it was a big pool. I don't know how many meters it was. It was like a thousand meters. I don't know. But you had to go back and forth and back and forth. Like, I don't know. It was a long, it was a lot of times. And the first time you had to do it with a side stroke. I was like, side who? <laughs> and they said, then you got to do a backstroke. And I was like, what? Yeah, I know backstroke. Yeah. They're like, uh, uh what is that? breaststroke and then freestyle four strokes that I did not know but you know I used to be a wrestler right before the year before and I had a good stamina and I just would not quit I was doggy paddling the whole time <laughs> oh no <laughs> don't get me out yet come on I'm still alive I'm still good I'm still good <laughs> the lady came up straight to me she was like young man young man Everybody went home. <laughs> what are you doing there? That's what? Hey, Therese, can you come over here? Look at this. Therese, like that ain't nothing. What is that? What are you? What, young man, what are you doing? And I was like, I just want to be a lifeguard. It's my dream. And at that time, it was my dream. And they said, Oh man, check this out. My friend over here, she's going to teach you the side stroke, backstroke, freestyle, breaststroke. 15 minutes. you got 15 minutes to learn it. If you can learn it and you show and demonstrate it to us, we'll let you in. So what happened was there was 20, like 25 spots. 24 people filled the spots. All the rest of 300 people went home because they couldn't finish the laps. Because they were just out of shape. So this lady who I didn't even know, who wanted to go home because it was like 11.30 at night. She stayed around. She showed me how to do a breaststroke, side stroke, backstroke. I still have not forgotten it to this day. And freestyle. Freestyle, actually, I had to kind of just improv. <laughs> I demonstrated. They saw my heart and they were like, young man, that is not the strokes that we're looking for, but you got some heart. <laughs> we're going to let you in. Come next week. Come next week. By the way, the warm-ups, when you come into class next week, all right, it's half of this. So be sure, be ready to do that. I was like, what? <laughs> Every single day, <laughs> the warm-up is half of that. It's crazy. But you know what? I got it. God's, God's grace. I got it. And not only did I get it, they do first, they do two rounds, right? If you fail the test on the first round, you have to do a physical test and a written test. First round, if you fail, you get a second chance. Second round, you fail, then you're out. You don't get the certification. Okay? Out of a class of 25 people, I kid you not, right here. Everybody failed first round. Except this really good looking white dude. <laughs> and myself. Two of us out of a class of 25. We passed in the first round. And the lady who taught me all the strokes, she was so proud of me. She said, Christian, I don't know how you did it. <laughs> I'm so proud of you. Wonderful job. Here's your certificate. I knew that it was God's grace and favor that got me that job as a lifeguard. But for three summers, I worked faithfully as a lifeguard. Maybe not as faithfully as I should have. I admit, all right. I mean, I wasn't as faithful. I had to relearn some of the lessons that I think God was trying to show me there. But, uh, you know, those jobs, you know? God gives you all those jobs. Which of the jobs that Joseph had throughout his life? Which of those jobs as a Potiphar's butler, as a prison warden, and as later on, what, as a prime minister of Egypt? Which one of those jobs do you think God wanted for Joseph? What's the answer? Exactly all of them. Because each job was building up Joseph for the dream that God put in his heart. Hallelujah. 
And one thing interesting note, while he was in prison, before he went up, he helped somebody else fulfill their dream. He helped interpret somebody else's dream, and he helped fulfill their dream. You know what? As you're on your way to fulfill and pursue your dreams, it's a good idea to help other people fulfill their dreams. Because it is this act of kindness that opened the door for Joseph, Joseph to go from the prison to the palace. Hallelujah. Eventually, all the dreams that God put on Joseph's heart, they were fulfilled. And every time Satan tried to kill Joseph's dream, God's sovereign hand covered him and continued to lead him along the way. And if you will live life as a dreamer, that same promise is for you. It doesn't matter if you don't follow it perfectly. If you will just follow with a pure heart and you live life as a dreamer, his sovereign hand will cover you every time Satan tries to get you. And he'll lead you. He'll believe in you. He'll be that, that lady that showed me all those jokes. And in this room, brothers and sisters, there are many dreams that Satan has worked really hard to kill. But can I say something right now? Tonight I'm trying to speak out the words of God. I want to activate the dreams that God has put in your heart. Because no matter what Satan has done, let me tell you right now, God's sovereign hand has been over your life. Those dreams are not dead. Those dreams are not over. You may have given up on them, but God has not. And if you will look to him and live life as a dreamer, you will fulfill, you will see the fulfillment of all the dreams that God originally placed there on your heart. And do you know there, let me just talk about one other dreamer in the Bible that experienced similar things as Joseph. This person also had a vision and a dream. He was also hated, beaten, and rejected. He was also tempted, accused, and forsaken. And he was also someone whose dreams that Satan worked hard to destroy. But the sovereign hand of God was covering over him. It's very interesting. At the end of his life, that sovereign hand was taken away. And his hands were pierced. And every time Satan tries to attack and destroy the dreams in your life, the sovereign hand that covers over you is a pierced hand. It's the hands of that dreamer that experienced all these similar things to Joseph. And just as Joseph went from the right hand of the Potiphar's house, right hand of the prison warden, to the right hand of Pharaoh, this man as well, he sitteth at the right hand. At the right hand of the Father. And it is his act of kindness that opens the door for you to go from the prison to the palace. And if you don't know who his name is, his name is Jesus. And you don't know who he is tonight, I would invite you. Invite you. To the heart of Jesus. Because it is in the heart of Jesus that you will find purposes and dreams and visions for your life. And it is when we stay in him that we will see those dreams fulfilled. And the dream that Joseph dreamt at the beginning of his life, it was fulfilled when his brothers obviously bowed down to him. But check this out. It was not truly fulfilled until the true Joseph came. It is in Jesus that not only do 11 brothers bow, 
But the word of God says it is in Jesus, the true Joseph, that the dream that God gave to Joseph is truly fulfilled where every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Jesus He's a dreamer. Obviously, Jesus doesn't dream literally because he doesn't sleep. He intercedes for us day and night. But figuratively, I'm talking about. Jesus is, he's a dreamer. And his dream is to see the earth covered by the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters over the seas. And that cannot happen Unless each and every one of you takes the call of God on your life and you glorify God right where you are, right in media, right in your photography, right where you are in business, right where you are in politics, right where you are in law, right where you are in medicine, right where you are. Then the earth, then the dream, the travail of Jesus' soul will truly be fulfilled. And I guarantee you, because the word of God says in Isaiah 53, he shall see the travail of his soul. Everything he paid to see his dreams come to pass, the Bible says he shall surely see it. And guess what? We're all going to have a, a role to play in bringing these dreams to pass. Somebody say amen. Amen. I want us to pray right now. I'm going to do a special altar call right now because this is something God's put on my heart. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask right now, you know, um, admittedly, some dreams are much bigger than others or some dreams are just not maybe bigger, but they're tougher to fulfill than others. It's going to be a higher price to pay. But for those who have those certain dreams, let me just encourage you. The price might be higher, but so will the honor. Because guess what? When you get to heaven, the glory will all be God's. I guarantee you that. Last night at our New Philadelphia prayer meeting, there's a gentleman named Dr. Rowe. He came. He's a missionary to North Korea. He came and he spoke for us. I believe he spoke at Jubilee on Wednesday. And as he was making his presentation about North Korea, it's just a, such, there was a breaking, a breaking of hearts. A breaking of apathy. There's so many wet eyes in that room. As Dr. Rowe was presenting his, his message. And there's this wonderful dream. This crazy dream. That the people of North Korea... We'll worship the Lord our God in freedom. This dream that the oppression and the idolatry that is over that land will finally be broken. This dream that North Korean, the North Korean church, when it's raised up, it will not be filled with a religious spirit. It will be filled by the very spirit of God. And this North Korean church is going to rise up and they're going to move in signs, wonders, healings, and miracles. Because they have been oppressed for so long that when they see the truth and when they breathe the very Spirit of God in, they know the real from the fake. And they will only long and pursue after that which is the real, true power of God, the kingdom of God on this earth. And the North Korean church is going to be mighty. A lot of people... 
have a vision right now. Dr. Rowe was sharing that Lauren Cunningham has been captured by a vision to raise up Korean brothers and sisters right now at this hour because he believes that God's great plan for the world previously was America. But right now, at this hour, recently, in recent centuries, Lauren Cunningham believes it's the nation of Korea. For whatever reason, I'm not saying this because I'm Korean. All right, Lauren Cunningham's not Korean. He's Caucasian. But he shared that. And guess what? This is what many men of God, women of God, they've been getting impressed with. There's a powerful purpose that God has for Korea. And that's why Satan attacked Korea so strongly. After, after, North, after Korea experienced the Pyongyang revival in 1907, just three years later, Japan invaded Korea and tried to eradicate the whole entire race. When they failed at doing that, Kim Il-sung took over the northern part of the country and completely annihilated Christianity from that nation. But according to Dr. Rose's testimony, Satan failed because there is a remnant in North Korea that are crying out day and night for the doors to open up. Crying out day and night for the, until they breathe freedom. Crying out day and night that on the blood of Jesus and on the blood of North Korean martyrs that the North Korean church will rise up, will rise up and will go to the nations and will do the kingdom work. So tonight, I what I want to do is I want to help activate some of these dreams. Some of you in here, you have a heart for North Korea. Some of you, you know you have a call to North Korea. And in Campus Crusade, I went on two mission trips to China right along the North Korean border. And this missions project was called Big Dream big dream because to see North Korea be set free healed and delivered is the big dream that God has given to many people at this hour so right now what I'm going to do is I'm just going <clears> to <throat> I'm just going to lay hands I just want to lay hands and speak out and activate the dream of God for North Korea in your life. If that's you, I want you to start coming up to the front. Alright, some of you are right now, you are just itching to come up. I want you to invite, I want to invite you, come to the altar. I just want to lay hands on you and bless and activate this dream that God has put upon your heart. This dream, I'm telling you, if you try to run away from it, it will not go away because when God gives you a dream, He means business. And you don't have to worry about how is this dream going to get fulfilled. Because God knows. It is His favor. It is His grace that will carry you there. In the natural, it will never make sense how your, these dreams are going to get fulfilled. But it's only by the favor of God that He's going to take you. He's going to take you up. He's going to raise you up. So if that's you, I'm going to wait right here. Just come to the front. I just want to lay hands and pray for you. If you have a